Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Caster Weekly Feel Good Podcast, where this week we get more Peter Pan chapters. I talk about the escapism values of video games, and we go on another adventure. That's right, this week we get chapters four and five of Peter and Wendy. We're starting to get into some stuff. We reach Neverland, you know, get, it's getting exciting. Hook and Smee are introduced. Oh boy. It's good stuff. I went on a relatively quick excursion out to a lake called Kichalas Lake in the uh, Cascade Forest or Cascade Mountain Range there. It is um, it's a gorgeous little spot and we'll get into further details on that here in a little bit. And I talk about video games and kind of what I've been playing um, in this ongoing situation. And I would like to talk about a couple of things right at the top here. Number one, we did our monthly live stream for the Patreon supporters last Tuesday. Uh, and I wanted to talk a little bit about what we're doing in the live streams and kind of what we're moving towards in terms of Patreon. Um, right now, I am playing Minecraft so I can build a, a set, basically, for um, Patreon-exclusive audiobooks. So, essentially, what we're going to do is, in the live streams, where I'll have, like, interaction with the chat, and we can ask questions and have conversations and stuff like that, I'm also going to start reading books exclusively for my Patreon supporters. So, if you want the, the like, the whole catalog of books that I will read as a part of audiobooks by Andrew, there will be Patreon-exclusive pieces of, of literature that we will read that will not go up on the website... Um, they will only be available if you are a Patreon supporter. Um, so, if you want to be a part of the first audiobook choosing experience, uh, the next time we live stream in June, I don't know um, what day just yet, uh, but we will do another live stream in June. And I'm also needing to decide if it's like, I might need to start live streaming more than once a month, especially if we're reading books, because I don't want to get to a point where it's like, all right, it's been a month since we've read this. Nobody remembers what we were doing in this book. So, you know. Might do some more live streams. But that is what we do over on the Patreon side, in case you were curious. And if you want to join us uh, in these live streams, you can go to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast and become a $5 Patreon supporter and get access to these live streams where we will read books and answer questions and do a little bit of Minecraft and all that stuff. It was a ton of fun this past live stream. We, uh, we, I was on the hunt for Diamond. I finally got Diamond uh, and went basically straight into the nether where I fell into lava and lost everything. It was beautiful. It was such a good, good moment. I loved it. So that's um, one of the great ways you can support the Going Cast. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash goingupcast. Follow us on Instagram at goingupcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. And I just wanted to make a quick note. Uh, we have done a kind of uh, rebranding of the Going Up cast. Uh, basically, I added the second G to the word going, going up cast, um, for a couple of reasons. But uh, the biggest one is that the URL has the second G, and I wanted things to be consistent. Um, I've also created a new logo that you can see on Facebook, and um, I'm working it into, I think I'll leave the original logo on the website for a bit, just because I want to I wanna create like a, a, a PNG file for the actual thing so it's transparent and not just like a white brick and I haven't gotten around to doing that yet. But we are now the going upcast. It is no longer stylized with the apostrophe. It is the whole letter, whole word of the word going. It's got both G's, it's very exciting. And I would like to mention here at the top of the hour um, that I have uh, basically gotten a, um, I did a, a Jumbotron 
on Maximum Fun, the podcasting network, um, to try and bring a couple of more years into the, the Going Up cast family here. And I have absolutely no idea when that message is going to be read, but I did give them the time frame of summer. So sometime between now and August, there may be a uh, an ad for the Going Up cast playing on one of their podcasts. Not going to say which one yet, but once it actually happens, we'll we'll talk about it then. I'm I'm really excited about that because it's like it's you know it's the it's the 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 tease of the unknown could get a bunch more people in could be the start of something really amazing so i wanted to take a special moment here to thank you for listening to the podcast before everybody else you can be you can be that person that was like i heard it before everybody else i heard it before 100 episodes i think this is episode 90 so we're not we're not too far off in 10 weeks it'll be episode 100 i gotta come up with something pretty cool and pretty big to do for that but for right now let us get into the podcast because i have chattered on for far too long so let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to my motorized vehicle. Today we are going on not nearly as long of a journey as um, I've done in the past, but it should be a good time anyway. So with the ongoing situation, I wanted to ensure that on my explorative travels of the grand state of Washington. I was not breaking any, um, you know, social or set down upon laws regarding travel and so on and so forth. So for the last like month and a half, um, I have been reticent to actually go out and, you know, look at nature and stuff. On one hand, you could argue that the visualization of the natural world around you and my physical presence of being there, provided that I maintained social distancing, shouldn't be a problem, but apparently it is. So like, as of, I think the most recent date I saw was like, as of the 5th of May, um, many trailheads in the state of Washington are still closed, uh, which makes sense because trails are not usually six feet wide. So it's very difficult to maintain social distancing on there um, if there are other people on the trail with you. So I have long been in the fashion of exploring nature that was readily accessible off of major roadways uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it shortens these trips Um, not that I want them to be short, but it's also like, I have other things I need to do on my weekend and I can't burn an entire day. Um, you know, gallivanting, uh, that is just not on the docket. And two, because they are readily accessible off of major roadways, we don't have to worry about any trailheads or anything like that, which means I don't have to worry about breaking any, you know, safety restrictions. So that is, that is the plan. So today's lake is actually up in the Cascade Mountain Range, again, because who doesn't like a good old-fashioned alpine lake? Um, this one is called uh, Keychalice Lake. Um, I can't remember the exact uh, spelling of it off the top of my head. But 
Um, it is a little bit past Snoqualmie Pass, which means I've got about an hour and 20 minute drive one way ahead of me. Um, but thankfully it's mostly on um, massive highways. So we should make pretty good time as a result of that. Uh, and I'm looking, I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to being up near um, the ski slopes because uh, Snoqualmie Pass is one of the bigger um, ski destinations around here. And I would imagine that at this time of year, um, not a lot of snow up there to be had for sure, uh, but I'm expecting it to be very green. Um, there'll be a lot of, uh, hopefully a lot of flowers. We might make for some cool nature shots. So yes, I'm, I'm very excited. I was also thinking about this the other day. Um, with the travel side of the podcast, it's sometimes difficult to do things that, um, uh, and guarantee I actually go to these locations. Um, one of the main reasons why I like to record inside my car, because car noises are pretty hard to replicate. Um, but not impossible to replicate, but pretty hard. And you know me, am I going to sit there for two hours or, uh, fuck, two hours or whatever, um, and add in these car noises? Probably not. Yeah, that's fair. I, um, I went too far. Yep. That's too funny. Oh, man. All right. So I was on, I was on the turn lane, uh, to, uh, turn left and, it was yellow when I started going, then it turned red in like an instant. And then um, and I stopped and the dude behind me backed up. So I started to back up and as I was backing up, it turned green. So fuck me. Um, anyway, uh, yes, I, I do legitimately go to all of these destinations. Um, I mean, I post all the pictures on Instagram and stuff like that uh, going upcast. So you can, you can see all the wonderful images I'm going to take there. Um, I'm gonna put a post on the blog saying that the blog has all but moved to Instagram. And if there's a way I can integrate my Instagram feed onto the website, I will. Um, because that is the blog. Like, that's what I do. And the blog was um, a way for me to add images and stories and stuff like that. And to me, that's what Instagram's perfect for. It really is a, it's a natural way to do that. So that is what I have been doing uh, for the most part, I haven't updated the blog in a long time. So that is, that's kind of where I'm at. The clouds are crazy cool right now. It is 6.05 in the morning. I left right on time, right when I wanted to. I wanted to be in the car actively driving, um, by six. And I think I was backing out of, um, backing out of the drive, uh, at like 5.59. So off to a good start. We are we're rocking and rolling. I predict this entire trip should take about um, two and a half to three hours. So I would like to be home around nine o'clock. Um, and I'm still on back roads trying to get to the highway. But I think that'll do it for now. Um, I will touch base with y'all once we are actually at our destination. So talk to you guys soon. Hey everybody, we are currently at Snoqualmie Pass. Um, I am at the eastern summit of, uh, of Snoqualmie Pass. Um, there aren't any lines in the road, um, which is bizarre. So I'm just going to kind of keep driving. 
presume there were lines in the road, but the constant snow and bullshit of, um, of nature probably just washed this whole thing clean. Um, I'm trying to find, like, just a place to park, really. Yeah, all the recreational sites are closed due to, you know, coronavirus, uh, which is to be expected. Um, well, not seeing any places where I can just kind of, kind of set up camp here. So I'm just gonna pull into this giant gravel lot. Um, yeah. So, uh, the, the summit is not the verdant, uh, landscape I was hoping to see. It is, A, still a lot of snow on the summit. Um, but it does also like brown. Um, it's super brown. Also, this giant dirt wall in front of me is actually snow. God knows how long that's been there. Um, but yeah, it is. Um, it is not as uh, as lovely as I was hoping. Now there's the Bunny Hill practice slope with the conveyor belt that tricks you up. Man, I haven't gone skiing in fucking years. Oh uh, well. Um, but yeah, here I am in Snoqualmie. I am probably one of a couple of hundred people up here. Um, I mean, some people live up here year-round, and that's amazing, and kudos to them, but um, there doesn't seem to be anybody here. Like, the sun hasn't even come up over the mountains yet. So, I mean, if you like sleeping in, live in the mountains, you're going to see that fucking sun a couple of times, a couple hours a day, and then it's gone. Oh, there's the Drew Brew. Uh, D-R-U-B-R-U um, There's a bunch of truckers Just chatting away Good for them um, Yeah, it's it's pretty nice up here um, So that's what that way is I'm going to go straight here And see if what's at the uh, the center summit Because uh, I can see ski lifts way over there I'm just exploring um, It's been a long time since I've been up here And uh, to be perfectly honest It's been a long time since I've been up here Without any snow So you know, that is, um, it's nice to just be able to, like, drive around, you know? I don't have to worry about ice or snow chains or anything like that. I can just be like, oh, there's a mound of snow. There's some snow over there. There's some adorable houses. These houses are so fucking cute. Oh, my God. Proper ski houses, these. Super pointy roofs, so the snow just sloughs right off. You know how it is. There's the main parking lot for the skis, for the skiing. Um, just a giant dirt lot. Oh, there's the sun. So the eastern slope gets sun, but not the western slope. That's all closed. I can't even go up there. Damn you. Oh, there's a nice little, uh, so gotta say, that's a waterfall. It's a sewer outlet. A lot less exciting. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't explore or do nothing. That's a bummer. Oh, well, kind of knew this was going to be the case, but it's still nice to be up here and look at things, I guess, um, I wonder, I mean, yeah, I'm like, I'm trying, I'm really trying hard to respect all these, like, you know, all areas closed, signs, there's no, like, barriers or anything like that actively preventing me from entering these places, but I'm just trying to, just trying to be nice, um, especially because it's not just for my safety, and yes, I recognize that I haven't seen another living person up here since I got up here except for the uh the mom and the baby stroller who I just passed on the side of the road now I'm not one to be like hey what you doing but it is 7 a.m and I suppose in her defense she didn't expect to see anybody on the road that'd make a lot of sense to me why why would you 
Like, why would why would anybody be up here unless you lived up here? And why would anybody be awake this early in the morning on a Monday? So, you know what? You know what, lady with the stroller? I get you. I'm picking up what you're putting down. You're probably right on a, on a lot of figures. Um, come on, car. You can do it. You can listen to it just whine away. Ah, uh, the roar of my mighty V6 engine. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to hop back on the highway because we are like maybe six miles out from um, our final destination. So I'll talk to you guys here in a little bit. Strike that. Um, it turns out if I stay on this this road, uh, the one near the ski resorts, um, it will take me to the backside of the lake, which I actually think is preferable to pulling off on the highway because I have a pretty solid idea which lake this is um, in terms of like, um, me driving this road in the past and there were not many places on the highway side in order to actually turn out and look at the lake so I'm hopeful that hitting it from the backside will let me have easier access to it um, so that's what I'm gonna do I'm just gonna drive nice and slow through here because the speed limit's 35 and you know I want to I want to be a good good custodian of the world around me by obeying the laws and all that stuff. It's very important. It's very important that if you go out nowadays while this is all going on to do nature stuff like this, that you you gotta, you gotta stick to the rules, you know? I mean, you always have to stick to the rules, but it's like, nowadays it is, it is paramount that we do everything we can to keep those around us safe and healthy. So, if you do go out you know, be smart about it, stay safe, and choose an off time of day, which is what I've done. I feel like by doing that, you minimize the risk of um, running into, you know, literally anybody else. So let's see, um, that will take me to the highway. I wanna go straight here, actually. Oh, that's the East Summit. I guess it's the Central Summit. Um, this is where I want to go. This road ends in 15 miles, and there's a lot of like recreation sign things, so I think I'm on the right path here. Yep, there's uh, there's 90 going east. Um, yeah, let's just fucking, let's just take it slow. Um, I have this unshakable feeling like I'm doing something wrong, but I know I'm not. Because there's a, there's a lot of people down here. Um, in terms of like cars and stuff. So let's see. I'm gonna read some signs here. It looks like I want to go right, just for my own sake of um, knowledge. Pardon me, gang. Uh, let's see here. State parks, no call me tunnel. I want to see the goddamn lake. That is why I'm here. slow through here because I have zero visibility on the road in front of me. There's a fair amount of snow on the actual road, which makes sense. Um, why would they pave up here? Or um, plow up here, I guess, is the, uh, is the actual statement. Um, oh, I see something through the trees. Is it what I seek? Oh, I see water. Now I just need to find a, a place to 
park, I guess. Uh, I'm hopeful that this actually will bring me closer to the side of the lake. God, I would not be surprised. There it is. Wow, that's great. Wouldn't be surprised if I saw a bear up here. This is, um, this is incredibly narrow. Wow. This is, this is a drive slow and hope nobody's coming the other way type of, type of street. Slowing down. I mean, yeah, you say it's closed. Um, and I I understand that 100%. But I want pictures of this fucking lake. There's no one else up here. Yep, there's a... Oh, it's a bluebird. That was a blue jay. That was gorgeous. Um, uh, that is a white foot rabbit is what that was. finding any places where I can comfortably park this car. This might... Oh, man, it's right there. Oh, I just need to find a place to park for a second so I can take some pictures. Just for a second. Oh, there's some, there's some cars. It's like a car with a boat and stuff like that up here. Um, yeah, here's some, here's some folks. And they don't look like uh, keeping keeping the forest safe looking sort of folks either. They look like just normal folks. Ah yeah, no, these are just these are just normal Joes. Perfect. It's a goddamn parking lot. This is what I wanted. Okay. Hell yes. I'm just gonna park over here away from everybody else. Oh, there's a little trailhead right there. Look at that. Oh man. All right. It's time to get some G dang pictures. We made it. Woohoo! Well, I was right. It turns out by taking the back road, I was able to find the parking lot, get some amazing lake pictures, and discover this immensely old forest. This is the Wenatchee National Forest. And it is very quiet, except for the birds. Saw a hummingbird, that was cool. Saw that rabbit from before, that was awesome. It's surprisingly cold up here. It's like low 50s, you know, elevation. Yeah, it is very beautiful up here. Definitely worth the drive, definitely. I can hear what sounds like running water in front of me, but I don't know how far or where it is. So I'm probably not going to venture too deep to look for it, but it's very nice up here. Absolutely worth the drive. I would recommend it. I have to be like a racehorse, though. So that's not fun. Oh, well. I'm going to take some more lake shots and get back in the car, I think. What a beautiful spot. Wow. So it might not be the prettiest lake I've ever seen. Mostly because of the highway kind of in all the photos. Um, but in terms of animal wildlife concentration, I don't think I've ever been to a spot that had so many different types of recognizable species packed so closely together. I saw 
two different mammal species, four different avian species, several insects, like lots of wildlife in this area, a lot of it really close together. Um, I saw chipmunks, like <laughs> they were moving around so quickly, it was hard to get a good count on them, but I would have to say it was at least six to seven different chipmunks just running around um, underneath the underbrush, not bothering to be quiet, just chirping away. Um, I tried to get pictures, but I doubt um, any of them came out well because, you know, they were blitzing through. Um, I saw that rabbit from before. I saw a gorgeous hummingbird, like red chest, very small, like from tip of the beak to tip of the tail, probably an inch, like really, really small. Um, I thought it was a bug at first, the way it was buzzing around, but I was like, oh no, it's a hummingbird. Um, so that was really cool. And uh, what's neat about this lake versus some of the other ones is the amount of um, uh, plant life growing in the lake. It uh, reeks more of a wetland than it does a, uh, an actual lake. And it does appear to be a combination of the two. Of course, the water level could be higher because of um, like snow melt and stuff like that. So perhaps that's what's going on. There's an island in the middle of the lake. We're not even in the middle of the lake, like not too far off here. That I'm relatively certain if the if the water level was lower, like in winter, you could probably walk to that island, um, which means I will have to pay this place another visit here in like what seven months. Um, we will we will have to come back and see if I can get to that island because now I want to. Um, of course, if I had my fucking kayak, if I had my inflatable goddamn kayak, I could easily paddle over there easily it wouldn't even take a minute it's how that's how close it is so tantalizingly close if i had my fucking kayak i gotta get that kayak because if i had it i could strike out on this water um oh my god i need that kayak i need that kayak bad there's a boat launch and everything oh well i'll have to go home and order it on amazon but i think that'll do it for this adventure to um Kichalam lake i believe uh hold on let me double check I, uh, I did like a Google map search, um, to get, get me up here. So, oh, Keechelis Lake, um, K-E-E-C-H-E-U or L-U-S, K-E-E-C-H-E-L-U-S Lake, Keechelis Lake. Very, very beautiful. Oh, there's some ducks way out there. There's some ducks. The amount of wildlife up here is staggering. It is crazy. Like I've been to a lot of lakes. There's a robin. Oh my God. I feel like if I stayed here for an hour just sitting in my car, I would see it's like a zoo up here. It's crazy. It's amazing. Never been to a lake with this much wildlife. Never. Oh, there's more. What are those? If those are ducks, they're huge. Man. Man, this place is cool. All right, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. You guys got to check this place out. But let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Peter Panning. Peter Pan for gold. Peter Pan. No, that's that's the chapters. That's not helpful. I need the actual book. I think we're on chapter four today. So that's fun. That's exciting. Uh, yes, I want to pick up where I last left off. Boop. Boop. Um, yes, so we're on chapter four. Let me just scroll a bit. Scrolling. Where we last left off, I think Peter had kidnapped the children. There we go. Chapter 4, The Flight. 
seconds to the right, and straight on to the morning. That, Peter had told Wendy, was the way to the Neverland, but even birds carrying maps and consulting them at Windy Corners could not have sighted it with these instructions. Peter, you see, just said anything that came into his head. Oh, apparently Peter's just an asshole. At first, his commands trusted him implicitly, and so great were the delights of flying that they wasted time circling around church, spies, or any other tall object on the way that took their fancy. John Michael raced, Michael getting a start. They recalled with contempt that not so long, page 59, ago, they had thought themselves fine fellows for being able to fly around a room, not so long ago. But how long ago? They were flying over the sea before this thought began to disturb Wendy seriously. John thought it was their second sea and their third night. Sometimes it was dark and sometimes light, and now they were very cold again and too warm. Did they really feel hungry at times, or were they merely pretending, because Peter had such a jolly new way of feeding them? His way was to pursue birds who had food in their mouths suitable for humans and snatch it from them. Then the birds would follow and snatch it back, and they would all go chasing each other gaily for miles, parting at last with mutual expressions of goodwill. But Wendy noticed with gentle concern that Peter did not seem to know that this was rather an odd way of getting your bread and butter, nor even that there are other ways. Certainly, they did not pretend to be sleepy. They were sleepy, and that was a danger. For the moment they popped off, down they fell, page 60. The awful thing was that Peter thought this funny. There he goes again, he would cry gleefully as Michael suddenly dropped like a stone. Save him! Save him! cried Wendy with a look of horror at the cruel sea far below. Eventually, Peter would dive through the air and catch Michael just before he could strike the sea. It was lovely the way he did it. But he always waited to the last moment, and you felt it was his cleverness that interested him and not the saving of human life. Also, he was fond of variety, and the sport that engrossed him one moment would suddenly cease to engage him, so there was always a possibility that the next time you fell, he would let you go. Peter is an asshole. He could sleep in the air without falling by merely lying on his back and floating, but this was partly at least because he was so light that if you got behind him and blew, he went faster. Do be more polite to him, Wendy whispered to John when they were playing Follow My Leader, page 61. Then tell him to stop showing off, said John. When playing Follow My Leader, Peter would fly close to the water and touch each shark tail, uh, shark's tail in passing. Just as in the street, you may run a finger along an iron railing. They cannot follow him in this uh, with much success, so perhaps it was rather like showing off, especially as he kept looking behind to see how many tails they missed. You must be nice to him, Wendy impressed on her brothers. What could we do if he were to leave us? We could go back, said Michael. How could we ever find our way back without him? Well, then we could go on, said John. That is the awful thing, John. We, shall, we should have to go on, but we don't know how to stop. This was true. Peter had forgotten to show them how to stop. John said that if the worst came to the worst, all they had to do was to go straight on for the world was round, so in time they must come back to their own window. And who would get us food, John? I nipped a bit out of that eagle's mouth pretty neatly, Wendy. After the 20th try, Wendy reminded him, and even though we became good at picking up food, see how we bump against clouds and things if he's not near us to give us a hand? Indeed, they were constantly bumping. They could not fly strongly, uh, though they still kicked far too much, and if they saw a cloud in front of them, the more they tried to avoid it, the more certain they did to bump into it. If Nan had been with them, she would have had a bandage around Michael's forehead by this time. Uh, I guess the book is claiming that clouds are solid and not made of water like we know they are. Peter was not with them for the moment, and they felt rather lonely up there by themselves. He goes so much faster than they, uh, um, than they that he would suddenly shoot out of sight to have some adventure in which they had no share. He would come back down laughing over something fearfully funny he had been saying to a star, but he had already forgotten what it was, or he would come up with mermaid scales still, page 63, sticking to him, yet not to be able, uh, yet not 
I can't read. It's early in the morning and I'm sober as a stone, but I can't read. And yet not be able to say for certain what had been happening. It was really rather irritating to children who had never seen a mermaid. Also, there's an art picture here of what it appears to be the darling children just attacking birds. Like, I think this one shows one of them just straight up punching that child. Or punching the bird, rather. It might be, might be Peter punching a bird. I don't know. Uh, they're just punching that bird. It's a parrot. And a vulture. And a seagull. And what looks like a bird of paradise. All getting, all getting clocked around. Anyway. And he forgets them so quickly, Wendy argued. How can we expect that he will go on remembering us? Indeed, sometimes when he returned, he did not remember them. At least not well. Wendy was sure of it. She saw recognition come into his eyes as he was about to pass them uh, the time of day and go on. When she even had to tell him her name. I'm Wendy, she said agitatedly. He was very sorry. I say, Wendy, he whispered to her. Always, if you see me forgetting you, you just keep on saying I'm Wendy. And I'll remember. Of course, this was rather unsatisfactory. However, to make amends, he showed them how to lie out flat on strong winds that was going their way. And this was such a pleasant change that they tried it several times and found they could sleep thus with security. Indeed, they would have slept longer, but Peter, page 64, tired quickly of sleeping, and soon he would cry in his captain voice, We get off here! With so with the occasional tiffs, but on the whole rollicking, they drew nearer the Neverland. For after many moons, they did reach it. And what is more, they had been going pretty straight all the time, not perhaps so much owing to the guidance of Peter or Tink, as the as because the island was out looking for them. It is only thus that anyone may sight those magic shores. So not because you know where it is, but because the island is looking for you. Interesting. There it is, Peter said calmly. Where, where? Where all the arrows are pointing! Indeed, a million golden arrows were pointing out the island to the children, all directed by their friend, the sun, who wanted them to be sure of their way before leaving them for the night. Ah, that's nice of you, son. Wendy and John and Michael stood on tiptoe in the air to get their first sight of the island. Strange to say, they all recognized it at once. Until fear fell upon them, they hailed it, not as something long dreamt of and seen at last, but as a familiar friend to whom they were returning home for the holidays. Page 65. John, there's the lagoon! Wendy, look at the turtles burying their eggs in the sand! I say, John, I see a flamingo with a broken leg. Look, Michael, there's your cave. John, what is that in the brushwood? It's a wolf with, with her whelps. Wendy, I do believe that is your little whelp. That's my boat, John, with a side stoved in. No, it isn't. Why, we burned your boat. That's how at any rate. I say, John, I see the smoke of the red-skinned camp. Wow. I forgot about that. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, boy. Not great. Not great. <laughs> can't even refer to I, I'm gonna <laughs> indigenous peoples camp is that the is that the most politically correct way I can phrase that I can't call them Native Americans because they might not be Americans just calling them natives doesn't seem super great I'm gonna say indigenous because those are the people that lived there first most likely this is a fantasy realm so it's all kind of wishy-washy but can't call him that. Can't call him the R, the R phrase. That's just terrible. So, yeah. Let's go with indigenous. That works for me. Until I figure out exactly what types of people they are. Um, you know, until they name themselves. Well, show me and I'll tell you by the way of the smoke curls whether or not they're on the warpath. There, just across the mysterious river. I see now. Yes, they are on the warpath, right enough. 
Peter was a little annoyed with them for knowing so much. If he wanted to lord it, um, but if he wanted to lord it over them, uh, his triumph was at hand. For have I not told you that a non-fear fell upon them? Page 66. Came as the arrows went, leaving the island in gloom. In the old days at home, the Neverland had always begun to look a little dark and threatening by bedtime. Then unexplored patches arose in it and spread. Black shadows moved about in them, and the roar of the beasts of prey were quite different now. Above all, you lost the certainty that you would win. You were quite glad that the night lights were in. You even liked Nana to say that this was just the mantelpiece over here, and the Neverland was all make-believe. Of course, the Neverland had been make-believe in those days, but it was real now, and there were no nightlights, and it was getting darker every moment. And where was Nana? I had been flying apart, but they had it close to Peter now. His careless manner had gone at last, his eyes were sparkling, and a tingle went through them every time they touched his body. They were now on the f over the fearsome island, flying so low that sometimes a tree grazed their feet. Nothing horrid was visible in the air, yet their progress had become slow, page 67, and labor. And exactly as if they were pushing their way through hostile forces. Sometimes they hung in the air until Peter had beaten on it with his fists. They don't want us to land, he explained. Who are they? Wendy whispered, shuddering. But he could not or would not say. He could not, would not in a tree. And he could not, would not let them be. Tinkerbella had been asleep on his shoulder, but he wakened her and sent her on the front. Sometimes he poised himself in the air, listening intently with his hand to his ear, and again he would stare down with eyes so bright that they seemed to bore two holes into the earth. Having done these things, he went on again. His courage was almost appalling. Do you want an adventure now? He said casually to John. Would you like to have your tea first? Tea sounds great. Let's all take a sip. Oh, something nice and light to get me through the day of a lovely pot of jasmine green tea. Yeah. Wendy said tea first, quickly, and Michael pressed her hand in gratitude, but the braver John hesitated. What kind of adventure? He asked cautiously. There's a pirate asleep in the pompous, just page 68 beneath us, Peter told him. If you like, we could go down there and kill him. I don't see him, John said after a long pause. I do. Suppose, John said a little huskily, he would wake up. Peter spoke indignantly. You don't think I would kill him while he was sleeping. I would wake him up first and then kill him. That's the way I always do it. I say, do you kill many? Tons. John said, how ripping, but decided to have tea first. He asked if there were many pirates on the island just now. Peter said that he had never known so many. Who is captain now? Hook, um, answered Peter, and his face became very stern as he said that hated word. Yes, Hook, I... Then indeed Michael began to cry. Even John could speak in gulps only, for they knew Hook's reputations. He was Blackbeard's boatswain, John whispered huskily. He was the worst in them all. He's the only man whom, whom Barbecue was afraid of. That's him, said Peter. What's he like? Is he big? He's not so big as he was. How do you mean? I cut off a bit of him. You? Yes, me, said Peter sharply. I was mean to be disrespectful. Oh, all right. But I say, what bit? His right hand. Then how? Then you can't fight? Oh, can't he just? Left-hander? He has an iron hook instead of a right hand and he claws with it. Claws? Yes, say, John, said Peter. Yes, say, aye, aye, sir. Aye, aye, sir. Page 7. There is one thing, Peter continued, that every boy who serves under me has to promise, and so must you. John paled. It is this. If we meet Hook in open fight, you must leave him to me. I promise, said John loyally. 
From the moment, uh, for the moment, they were feeling less eerie because Tink was flying with them, and in her light they could distinguish each other. Unfortunately, she could not fly so slowly as they, so she had to go round and round them in a circle in which they moved as a halo. Wendy quite liked it until Peter pointed out the drawback. She tells me, she said, he said, that the pirates sighted us before the darkness came and got Long Tom out. The big gun? Yes. Of course, they must see her light, and if they guess we are near it, then they are sure to let fly. Wendy, John, Michael, tell her to go away at once, Peter, the three cried simultaneously, but he refused. She thinks um, we have lost the way, he replied stiffly. She is rather frightened. You don't think I would send her away all by herself when she is frightened? For the moment, the circle light was broken, and something gave Peter a loving little pinch. Then tell her, Wendy begged, to put out a light. She can't put it out. That is the only thing fairies can't do. It just goes out itself when she's asleep, same as the stars. The tell her to sleep at once, John almost ordered. She can't sleep except when she's sleepy, you dumbass. Of course, that's how that works. It's the only other thing fairies can't do. Seems to me, growled John, that there, um, these are the only two things worth doing. Here he got a pinch, but not a loving one. If only she, if only one of us had a pocket, Peter said. We could carry her in it. However, they had set off in such a hurry that they had not a pocket between the four of them. He had a happy idea. John's hat. Tink agreed to travel by hat if it was carried in the hand. John carried it, though she had hoped uh, to be carried by Peter. Presently, Wendy took the hat because John said it struck against his knee as he flew, and this, as we shall see, led to mischief, for Tinkerbell hated to be under the obligation to Wendy. In the black topper, the light was completely hidden, and they flew on in silence. It was the stillest silence they had ever known, broken only by the distant lapping, which Peter explained of the wild beasts drinking at the ford, and again by the rasping sound that might have been branches of trees rubbing together, but he said that it was the indigenous people sharpening their knives. Even these noises ceased. To Michael, the loneliness was dreadful. If only something would make a sound, he cried. As if in answer to his request, the air was rent by the most tremendous crash he had ever heard. The pirates had fired the long tom at them. The roar of it echoed through the mountains, and the echoes seemed to cry savagely, Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Page 73. Thus sharply did terrify the three learn the difference between an island of make-believe and the same island come true. When at last the heavens were steady again, John and Michael found themselves alone in the darkness. John was treading air mechanically, and Michael, without knowing how to float, was floating. Are you shot? John replied, tre or whispered tremulously. Tremulously. I haven't tried. Michael whispered back. We know now that no one had been hit. Peter, however, had been carried by the wind of the shot far out to sea, and Wendy was blown upward with no companion but Tinkerbell. It would have been well for Wendy if it had, at that moment, she had dropped the hat. I don't know whether the idea suddenly came to Tink or whether she had planned on it this way, but when she popped out of the hat and began to lure Wendy to her destruction. Tink was not all bad, or rather... She was all bad just now, but on the other hand, sometimes she was all good. Fairies have to be one thing, page 74. Or the other, because being so small, they unfortunately have room for one feeling only at a time. They are, however, allowed to change, only it must be a complete change. At present, she was full of jealousy of Wendy. She said in her loving, lovely tinkle, Wendy could not, of course, understand, and I believe it... Uh, I believe some of it was bad words, but it all sounded kind, and she flew back and forward, plainly meaning follow me, and all will be well. What else could poor Wendy do? She called to Peter and John and Michael and got only mocking echoes in reply. She did not yet know that Tink hated her with the fierce hatred of a very woman. And so bewildered, now staggering in her flight, she followed Tink to her doom. I wonder where I wonder where Tinkerbell's taking her. I guess we'll find out here in a little bit, but it seems um Seems perilous, Wendy. I would, uh... I mean, what can you do, really? She's got she's got no hope. I'm really terrified that this book is actually just gonna straight up kill these kids. Because 
since it's already been proven, to me at least, to be vastly different from the um, original Disney animation. I don't know which way this is gonna go, really. So in the midst of all of this turmoil, we have probably all been doing a lot of similar, th oh God, a lot of similar things. Sorry, silencing my phone. Um, including like the watching of movies and TV and all that stuff. But for me, one of the things that I've been doing almost on the daily is video games. So I thought I would talk about uh, two of the games that I've been playing a lot lately. Uh, one of which I consider to be beaten. I've got like another 10 minutes left um, in that game in order for me to be satisfied with its completion. Um, and that game is Animal Crossing, Animal Crossing New Horizons on the, uh, Nintendo Switch. So, like most people, um, got that game when this all kicked off. I wasn't going to play it. I watched a couple of videos of people playing it. It looked interesting. And I really do enjoy it, uh, especially in those early days. It's a lot like Minecraft, um, where in the beginning, Minecraft is all about, like, the basic need to survive you know your first couple of days in minecraft are pretty clear cut you got to build a house you got to get coal you got to get food like all of these things but once you're stable and you can survive and that's no longer a concern the game is driven based on what you want to accomplish in that game you have to kind of give your own goals and stuff like that animal crossing is a bit more structured in that there's a lot of things to do and a lot of clear-cut goals like catch all the bugs and fish, upgrade your house to maximum, get more villagers, make your village look really cool, put paths down, you know, all of these things. Um, but you don't need to do really any of those things, right? You could just, you know, hang out with your friends and um, go fishing every now and then. You could have your little character sitting in a chair or whatever. You can do whatever. It's, it's kind of an open sandboxy sort of game. There are There is structure if you want structure. There are goals and daily tasks if you want that. But you don't have to really do any of those things. The game will exist in perpetuity. It's not really a game you can ever, quote, beat, but it's it's a game. Like, you could collect all the bugs and fish. You could have every item of, like, you know, to decorate your house with. You could own everything. You could do those things. You could complete certain tasks. But there's always going to be something else for you to do. And since I recognize this game as an unbelievable time sink, for me it did start to feel more like I was doing chores towards the end. It's a good game, and I would say I got my money's worth out of it in terms of, like, monetary value, if you care about such things. Like, oh, I spent $60 on this game. Did I feel like I got $60 worth of value? I would say yes um, for, for Animal Crossing. For me, what uh, stopped the, the um, desire to continue playing was, well, I got bored and I unlocked my second floor of my house. And once you do that, you can change what the outside of your house actually looks like. And that was like the, the big thing for me, and that's what I wanted to do. And now, of course, the next loan is so egregiously high. It took me like two weeks to earn 700,000 bells, and now I need to get like 1.2 million bells, and it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, I'm done. I, I pick up what you're putting down Animal Crossing. And it's not to say I'm never going to return to it. I'm just taking it off of, like, my my to-do list of video gaming stuff right now. Um, and it, it certainly did its job. It acted as an escapism in this time when everything is just so tumultuous and stuff like that. 
and it is something I would recommend picking up if you happen to have a Nintendo Switch. The other thing I've been doing is I went back to Pokemon Alpha Sapphire and I started a Nuzlocke run. And this is the first time that I've actually kind of gotten somewhere with a Nuzlocke run. I've done them a couple of times in the past, particularly in Alpha Sapphire, because it is um, one of my favorite uh, Pokemon games. It has like all the legendaries and stuff like that. I think it's a really solid remake of the original game. Kyogre was one of my favorites. I love the storytelling aspect that this game has. It's a fairly decent story, unlike um, all the other Pokemon games, especially this newest one, Sword and Shield. <sighs> I don't know what they were thinking there, but it ain't great. It ain't great. Um, I'm booting it up right now so I can tell you who I've got on my team because I don't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, I have six gym badges. I have been playing for 14 hours. Um, I just got done with Mount Pyre and I got like the, the red orb and stuff like that. So I've got my squad of six. Um, I've got a Gyarados, um, a, oh uh, fuck, Hariyama and Exploud, I think is what they're called. Uh, what the fuck are you? Hold on, what is this? This is a, I nicknamed them all so I can't remember. Dust Skull and, um, yep, Exploud, Sceptile, uh, my starter was Trico, and a Latias. And I know you get given Latias, um, and, you know, the rules of, like, catching Pokemon and stuff like that, but I actually did get Latias legit, in my head at least, because every other Pokemon I encountered on that route before I was able to basically just be given uh, Latias um, fell under the duplicate clause that I was playing under, so I was able to actually legitimately get uh, Latias as a member of my team, which was great because my team was suffering in terms of like balance and stuff like that. The Gyarados is picking up a lot of the slack, and I have never really been a big fan of um, fight Pokemon, but Hariyama is a fucking powerhouse. That dude is a brick shit house. He weighs like 600 pounds or something like that. It's absurd. Anyway, I'm very much enjoying that. I have a feeling I'm pretty close to beating. Um, the gyms, I have no idea how I'm going to do against the Elite Four. But I think what my saving grace is, um, because I was so paranoid about losing this Nuzlocke, and I know a lot of you are going to sit out there and be like, oh, you're playing this in easy mode. I never turned off the experience share, which means I have, shut up, computer, I have an average level bump above the rest of the game by like 13 levels. So I'm massively overleveled, which in my head helps protect my Pokemon from dying, especially in those early days. Like I lost, before the third gym, I'd lost like six Pokemon and I had a team of like four dudes. And I was so paranoid about losing any of them. And for the longest time I carried an egg around with me because I was like, oh, it's gonna be Togepi, they're gonna be fairy type. That's gonna be great coverage. I'm gonna level them up super quick because it's an egg and all blah, 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 blah. Turned out to be the Y-Nut, um, which evolves into fucking Wobbuffet. And that can, that can just, blow a goat. I'm, I'm not messing with that shit. That Pokemon sucks. So I threw that out and I got the Dust Skull and um, Mount Pyre and I think that's going to balance out my team composition pretty nicely I guess. I don't know. I mean the Exploudrate is the only one that has a fire type move on him and I don't know why he could learn that. My Gyarados has electric. I don't know. It's just, it's a lot of fun. And um, I do want to Nuzlocke Sword and Shield um, but the way that game works, where it's like you can wander through the grass and physically see Pokemon, it's a bit more of a challenge being like, you know, playing in a Nuzlocke rules. So I guess if you run around in the grass and encounter something that you didn't see, 
that's how you can do it. I'm almost confident there's a rule set that somebody else has written on the internet in order how to nuzlocke that particular game. And I'm going to look it up because I would love to do another sort of challenge type playthrough of one of these games because it adds a whole nother level of difficulty and it is really enjoyable when you get into it and you become attached to these Pokemon. Like um, in the very beginning of this Nuzlocke, there is Route 104, which gives you a 4% chance of catching a Ralts, which can evolve into Gardevoir, which is one of the best psychic Pokemon of, the, of that generation. And you have a 4% yeah, chance. And I legit found a Ralts as my first Pokemon on that route, and it blew my goddamn mind. I have wasted hours in the past playing this game trying to catch that fucking Pokemon, just like running around hoping to find it. And I got it right away, and then that motherfucker died in the Wismer Cave. So, that didn't last long. That would have been fucking great type coverage. Anyway, now I'm just rambling. But yeah, I've been doing doing a lot of video game stuff. Other games I've been playing a lot of, um, Elder Scrolls Online. I've really sunk my teeth in that. I'm playing the Elsewhere expansion, which has just dragons fucking everywhere. And it's one of those great video game moments when you can all team up with like 30, 40 people all on the server, flock to the dragon. We all take it down together. And it's really cool. And the how there's like a natural balance of tasks. Like a couple of people run to these dragons just to be a dedicated healer. And then you got the the tanks and you got the bears and you got the guys with the bows and arrows standing on the like the rock side just shooting it with arrows and all the magic casters and stuff like that. It's really nice to have people naturally work together without any other direction besides here's a big fuck all dragon. And if we don't work together, he's just going to keep killing all of us over and over and over again. So that's been a lot of fun. I got back into World of Warcraft, but kind of in a weird way, where I'm just basically in it, mount hunting again. Um, and I also want to do all of the achievements to unlock the remaining three sets of um, allied races that I haven't done. I don't have the the dwarves, um, the the cool Tyran humans, or the mechanomes. I don't have those three. I've got the first two, but I don't have the other three. So I want to do whatever it takes in order to unlock those, just like with Animal Crossing and Minecraft. World of Warcraft and Elder Scrolls Online, these big open games require you to really set your own goals for what you want to do. And so in World of Warcraft especially, I want to you know unlock those races and hopefully in doing so, continue the main storyline. Like, I've already saw um, uh, Nazoth or whatever the hell his name is, I've seen him, so... I know he's coming, I just haven't gotten there yet. And I'm way behind in the Battle for Azeroth story, so I'm trying to catch up before Shadowlands uh, really lands. And the other game I'm playing is uh, Persona 5 Royal on the PlayStation 4. I beat Madarame a little while ago, and I'm about to start the Kanashiro Palace, which means I'm, like, not even a quarter of the way through. That's a great game, and I do love all of the games I'm playing. And I need to kind of rotate around a bit more. But now that Animal Crossing is checked off, I hope to beat Pokemon this weekend. Um, I'm really close. I just need to figure out where the hell to go next, and then I'm good to go. And, uh, yeah. What are you guys playing? What video games have you hidden from the world inside of? Hit me up at gohamcast.gmail.com. Or, you know, leave a comment on the Facebook. I think you can do that. Maybe I'll pose it as a question that people can just comment on it. What games are you guys playing during the terrible times that we're currently living in? And I uh, hope you continue to stay safe and all that stuff. And, you know, if you're looking for a new video game... Play any of the games I just recommended. They're really good. All of them. In their own unique way. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Chapter 5. The Island Come True. 
Dialing comes true? Dialing is true. Dialing come true. Alright. I don't think it's grammatically great, but whatever. Oh, interesting. Looks like the, the format um, changes coming up here. That's bizarre. Alright. Feeling that Peter was on his way back, the Neverland had again woke into life. We are to use the... What? Okay. We are to use the popular fact and say wakened. Plopper fact? The plopper fact. Plopper fact. Is that a word or a horrible typo? Microsoft Word isn't tagging it as a typo. Alright, this is a new one for me. Plopper fact. Holy shit. Apparently it's pluperfect. Of a tense. Denoting an action completed prior to some past point of time specified or implied formed in English by had and the past participle. As in, he had gone by then past perfect. Pluperfect. It's a type of verb form. Reverse to an action at a time earlier than a time than a time in the past already referred to. Used to refer to an action at a time earlier than a time in the past already referred to. Use the plu perfect. Plu perfect? Plu perfect. It's plu. It's plu perfect. Plu perfect. So you've already referenced back to a time period. And then the plu perfect allows you to reference back to a time before the time period you've already referenced. Interesting. So if I was to talk about 1776 and then be like talking about fucking Columbus in 1492, that would be me referencing the blue perfect of 1776. Blue perfect. Blue perfect. Bivouac. The fun new camping word. <laughs> anyway, we ought to use the blue perfect and say wakened, but woke is better and was always used by Peter, because Peter was woke. Apparently that's a thing kids say, I don't, know. I don't know. In his absence, things are usually quiet on the island, because much like a, a, like a fucking video game, when you pause and close out, you've just kind of frozen those characters in motion. The fairies take an hour longer in the mornings, the beasts attend to their young, the indigenous people feed, their, feed heavily for six days and nights. When pirates and lost boys meet, they merely bite their thumbs at each other. Ah, that's some good fucking Shakespearean shit from Romeo and Juliet. Do you bite your thumb at me, sir? I do bite my thumb, sir, but not at you, sir. Do you quarrel, sir? Quarrel, sir? No, sir! Say what you will about the um, Leonardo DiCaprio version of Romeo and Juliet, but that scene at the fucking gas station when, um they're biting their thumbs and then they start whipping out guns and shooting each other it's pretty it's pretty intense because they just like escalate in anger and all of a sudden it's just a gunfight it's fucking it's cool um do you want to them me sir but with the coming of peter who hates lethargy they are all underway again if you put your ear to the ground now you would hear the whole island seething with life on this evening the chief forces of the island page 67 76 were disposed as follows. The Lost Boys were out looking for Peter. The pirates were out looking for the Lost Boys. The indigenists were out, indigenous people, were out looking for the pirates. The beasts were out looking for the indigenous people. They were going round and round the island. Yes, every time I say indigenous people, it is actually saying the other thing. It is yet to call them anything else besides like the worst thing you could call a, a people. It is, it is a racial slur as bad as any of the other ones. So I'm just ignoring it and replacing it. And that's how we do. Because while I do respect 
the literature and it's written in the time period, blah, 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 blah. It is unnecessary. There's, there's never a good reason to refer to a group of people by their racial slur. There's never a good reason. Like, I mean, you can have a racist character, and I guess that's a thing. But it's like, if it's just in the book, it's like using the, the synonym for miserly. It's not quite as bad, but you don't need to use that word. There are other words you can use to get that idea across. There's, it's, it, is, it is an unnecessary usage of a word that a lot of people aren't cool with. So in order to, you know, help the, help the thing along, I like to just cover my bases and make sure that everybody's having a, a, a good listening experience. You know? There's no need to be fucking racist about it. At least in my opinion. Common indigenous people. That being, just like last chapter, we're not 100%. Maybe the pirates were here first. You know? It's a fucking make-believe world. But, I feel like that's a safer term than calling them this. Unless we're talking about the football team. And that's also terrible. And they should change their fucking name. They were going round and round the island, but they did not meet because all were going at the same rate. Oh, of course they were. All wanted blood. Except the boys, who liked it as a rule, but tonight they were out to greet their captain. The boys on the island vary, of course, in numbers according to, um, according as they get killed and so on. And when they seem to be growing up, which is against the rules, Peter thins them out. But at this time, there were six of them, counting the twins as two. Well, that makes sense, because they're two different people. Let us pretend to lie here among the sugar king and watch them as they steal by in single file, each with a hand on his dagger. This book is violent. They are forbidden by Peter to look in the to look in the least like him, and they wear the skins of bears they've slain them by themselves, in which they are so round and furry that when they fall they roll. They have therefore become very sure-footed. So they're round little tiny people. The first to pass is Tootles, not the least brave, but the most unfortunate of all that page seventy-seven gallant band. He had never been in fewer adventures. He had been in fewer adventures than any of them because the big things constantly happened just when he had stepped around the corner, and all would be quiet. For um, he would take the opportunity to go off to gather a few sticks for the firewood, and then when he returned, the others would be sweeping off the blood. This ill luck had given a gentle melancholy to his countenance, but instead of souring his nature, um, had sweetened it, and that he was quite the humblest of the boys. Poor kind Tootles, there uh, there is danger in the air for you tonight. Take care, lest an adventure is now offered you, which, if accepted, will plunge you into deepest woe. Tootles, the fairy tank who is bent on mischief this night, is looking for a tool, and she thinks you the most easily tricked of the boys. Where, Tinkerbell? It's, I think it's supposed to say beware, but where, Tinkerbell? Would that he could hear us, but we're not really on the island, and he passes by, biting his knuckles. Next comes Nibs, the gay and debonair, followed by Slightly, who cuts whistles out of the trees and dances ecstatically to his own tunes. Slightly is the most conceited of the page 78 boys. He thinks he remembers the days before he was lost with their manners and customs, and this has given his nose an offensive tilt. Curly is the fourth. He is a pickle. And so often has he had to deliver upon up his person when Peter said sternly, Stand forth the one who did this thing. And that... That now, at the command, he stands forth automatically, whether he has done it or not. Last comes the twins, who cannot be described, because we should, um, because we should be sure to be describing the wrong one. Peter never quite knew what twins were, and 
His band were not allowed to know anything he did not know, so these two were always vague about themselves and did their best to give satisfaction by keeping close together in an apologetic sort of way. Hold on, I'm adjusting my, my lumbar pillow. It's always written kind of low for me in this chair, so I'm just kind of ooching it up a little bit. There we go. That's better. Actually, now it's a little too high. I'm never happy. Um, the boys vanish in the gloom and after a pause, but not a long pause, for things go briskly on the island, come the pirates on their tracks. We've heard them before they are seen, and it is always the same dreadful song. Avast belay, yo-ho, heave to. A pirating we go. And if we're parted by a shot, we're sure to meet below. I'm gonna have to break out some fucking, um... Uh, goddamn Treasure Island voices for for these pirates. Um, I'm gonna try to make a hook sound like a Long John Silver. Boy, the powers! A lot of chest slapping. I don't know what it is about pirates and chest slapping, but there's a lot of chest slapping. There's a lot of grand gesticulation with the pirates. A more villainous looking lot never hung a row on execution dock. Here a little in advance ever again with his head on the ground listening, his great arms bear pieces of eight in his ear as ornaments is the handsome Italian Seco, or Ciso, C-E-C-C-O, Ciso, Seco. not sure, I'm gonna go with Ciso, who cut his name in letters of blood on the back of the governor of the prison at Gao, G-A-O, sure, that gigantic black, um, behind him, no, oh, god damn it, I'm like, black flag, like, oh no, they're talking about a fucking person, god damn it. Why do these books have to be racist? That gigantic individual behind him has had many names since he dropped the one with which dusky mothers still terrify the children on the banks of Guajamo. Here is Bill Jukes, every inch of him tattooed. The same Bill Jukes who got six dozen on the walrus from Flint before he dropped the bag of Moidors. Okay. Looking up words once again. God, this, I is, now I'm struggling with things like is that is that a racist thing? I don't even know. I don't know what Guajo Mo is. Moidor, a historical gold coin of the Portuguese origin. Okay, yeah, Moidor is how that's pronounced. Let me just let me just look this up real quick. I'm not gonna say it out loud in case it is something terrible. Um. Uh. I believe it's just yeah, it's just nothing. Um, it, it doesn't mean anything. Guajomo, it's a it's a fake um, country, I'm guessing, because it's not anything to look up anyway. And Cookson said to be the Black Murphy brother, but this was never proved. And gentleman Starkey, once an usher in a public school and still dainty in his ways of killing. And Skylights, Morgan Skylights, and the Irish bosun Smee. Yes, an oddly genial man who stabbed, so to speak, without offense. And was the only nonconformist in Hook's crew. And Noodler, <laughs> whose hands were fixed on backwards. Oh, God, really? And robbed Mullins and Alf Mason and many another ruffian long known and feared on the Spanish main. All right, I'm, this is a, not the last thing I'm going to be looking at probably in this chapter. But I've always wondered. Um, I the, Like, a lot of people, Spanish main. So, the Spanish main... Yeah, see, this is why I looked it up. Spanish Maine was an area that comprised Central America and the northern coast of South America. In other words, the Spanish colonies of the Americas. Ground zero for the Spanish Maine would probably have been uh, Darien on the Isthmus of Panama. The land was rich in wealth, particularly gold, silver, and precious gems. 
I've always wondered about that because it's like people be like, oh, he's feared all along the Spanish main. I'm like, what does that even mean? So yeah, it's the coastal line uh, that's on the Atlantic side of the ocean along northern South America, all the way up Central America, um, through like Texas and Florida and then the Caribbean. Like that whole area is considered the Spanish main. It was Spain's new world empire basically is what that's all about. That is good to know. Spanish main. I wasn't I wasn't ever really sure. Heard the phrase a lot. That's why I wanted to look it up. Anyway, page 80. In the midst of them, the blackest and largest jewel in that dark setting, reclined James Hook, or as he wrote himself, Jass Hook, of whom it is said he was the only man that the sea cook feared. Oh, they're talking about fucking silver. Apparently Hook is the only person fucking Captain Long John Silver ever feared. That's... That's pretty good. That's a good reference. I like that. See, Cook feared. And yes, Treasure Island absolutely came out before this book. He lay at his ease in a roughed chariot drawn and propelled by his men. And instead of a right hand, he had the iron hook with which ever and anon he encouraged them to increase their pace. As dogs, this terrible man treated and addressed them. And as dogs, they obeyed him. In person, he was cadaverous and blackavized. God damn it. Please don't be a racist thing. Please don't be a racist thing. Please don't be a racist. Nope. Alright, it's... Um... Uh... Dark complexioned swarthy. Still not great. Still not great. Anyway. And... His hair was dressed in long curls, which at a little distance looked like black candles. Gave him a singularly threatening expression to this handsome countenance. His eyes were of the uh, were of the blue of the forget me not, and of a profound melancholy. Save when he was plunging his hook into you, at which time two red spots appeared in them and lit them up horribly. In manner, something of the grand seigneur, seigneur. I think it's French. God, I'm googling everything. This book is a fuck. I'm not even done with this page. It's like five things on this page I have to look up. Oh boy! Seigneur. Sig. I know it's French and I'm horribly pronouncing it, but. Uh. Seigneur. Seigneur. Is that how. A feudal lord or a lord of a manor. Seigneur. Is that, is that how you pronounce that? Because it's French. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> I need to finish this sentence. Do, 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 do. Where, where was I? Oh, still clung to him. So the reputation of a lord of a manor still clung to him. So that he, um, ever ripped you up with an air. And I have been told that he was a raconteur of repute. He was never more sinister than when he was most polite. Which is probably the truest test of breeding. And the elegance of his diction. Page 81. Even when he was swearing. No less than the diction of his demeanor showed him one of a different castle from his crew. A man of indomitable courage, it was said of him that the only thing he shied at was the sight of his own blood, which was thick and of an unusual color. His In dress, he somewhat appied, appeed the attire associated with the name of Charles II, having heard it, so, heard it said in some earlier period of his career that he bore a strange resemblance to the ill-fated Stuarts, and in his mouth he had a holder of his own contrivance, which enabled him to smoke two cigars at once. But undoubtedly the grimmest part of him was his iron claw. Let us now kill a pirate to show Hook's method. Skylights will do. As they passed Skylights, 
um, as they pass, Scalettes lurches clumsily against him, ruffling his lace collar. The hook shoots forth, and there is a tearing sound and one screech, and the body is kicked aside, and the pirates pass on. He had not even taken the cigars from his mouth. So he's currently smoking two cigars, and the narrator goes, let's now kill a pirate to show how Hook kills him. Skylights will do. Fuck it. Sure, why not? And Skylights is dead. That's an interesting way to just kind of do the book, but who am I to judge? It's actually kind of fun. Such is the terrible man against whom Peter Pan is pitted, which will win. On the trail of the pirates stealing noisily down the warpath, which is not visible to page 82 inexperienced eyes, come the indigenous people. Every one of them uh, with his eyes peeled. They carry tomahawks and knives, and their naked bodies gleam with paint and oil. Strung around them are the are scalps of boys as well as of pirates, for these are the Picanary tribe, not to be confused with the softer-hearted Delawares or the Hurons. In the van, on all fours, is the great big little panther, a brave of so many scalps that in his present position they somewhat impeded his progress. Bringing up the rear, the place of greatest danger, comes Tiger Lily, proudly erect a princess in her own right. She is the most beautiful of the dusky Dianas and the belle of the Picaneries. Quaitish, cold, and amorous by turns, there is not a brave who would not have the wayward thing to wife, but she staves off the altar with a hatchet. Observe how they pass over fallen twigs without making the slightest noise. The only sound to be heard is their somewhat heavy breathing. The fact is, they... Uh, uh, they are all a little fat just now after heavy gorging but in time they will work this off for the moment however it constitutes their chief danger indigenous people disappear I'm trying not to plural indigenous because that just kind of sounds terrible disappear as they have come like shadows soon their place is taken by the beasts a great motley procession lions, tigers, bears and the innumerable smaller savage things that flee from them for every kind of beast and more particularly all the man eaters live cheek um, by jowl on their favorite island their tongues are hanging out they are hungry tonight at what point did tonight stop being two words hyphenated because here tonight is spelled two hyphen night at what point did that just merge together to form the singular word tonight I don't know but apparently it's not in this moment in history or perhaps it's a stylistic choice who can say when they have passed comes the last figure of all a gigantic crocodile we shall see for whom she is looking presently the crocodile passes and soon the boys appear again for the procession must continue indefinitely until one of the party stops or changes its pace then quickly they will be on top of each other all are keeping a sharp lookout in front, but none suspects the danger may be creeping up from behind. This shows how real the island was. First to fall out of the moving circles was the boys. They flung themselves down on the sword, close to their underground home. Okay. Oh, apparently they're all talking at once. I do wish Peter would come back. Every one of them, page 84, said nervously. Though in heights and still more in breath, they, are all, they were all larger than their captain. Am I going to have to come up with different unique voices for each of the Lost Boys? I'm not going to be able to remember them. Remember how to tell them apart. I'm going to make them all sound like Kermit, because that's fun. Yeah, I am the one who is not afraid of the pirates, slightly said, in a tone that prevented his being a general favorite. Perhaps some distant sound disturbed him, for he added hastily, but I wish he would come back and tell us whether he had heard anything more about Cinderella. They talked of Cinderella, and Toodles was confident that his mother must have been very like her. It was only in absence of Peter that they could speak of mother's subject being forbidden to him as silly. Or forbidden by him as silly. All I remember about my mother, Nibs told him, is that she often said to father, Oh, how I wish I had a checkbook of my own. 
I don't know what a checkbook is, but I should just love to give my mother one. Er, excuse me. While they talked, they heard a distant sound. You or I, not being wild things of the woods, would have heard nothing, but they heard it, and it was a grim song. Yo-ho, yo-ho, the pirate life, the flag of skull and bones, a merry hour of hemp and rope, and a hay for Davy Jones. And once the Lost Boys... But where are they? They're no longer there. Rabbits could not have disappeared more quickly. I'll tell you where they are. With the exception of Nibs, who had darted away to Recontre, which I'm guessing is, um, investigate in some language. They were already in their home underground, a very delightful residence, of which we shall see a good deal presently. But how have they reached it? For there is no entrance to be seen, not so much a pile of brushwood, which, uh, if removed, would disclose the mouth of a cave. Look closely, however, you may note that there are here seven large trees, each having in it in its hollow trunk a hole as large as a boy. These are the seven entrances to the home underground for which Hook has been searching in vain these many moons. Will he find it tonight? A lot of question asking in this book. I gave J.K. Rowling a lot of shit for question asking. I'm starting to starting to look at this author, whose name I've forgotten. You will not escape my diatribe. I will Google your name real quick so I can swear at you properly. Peter Pan author. Uh, James Matthew Berry. It's a Scottish dramatist. Yes. Yes, J.M. Berry. Berry? Listen to me. Question asking writing. Stop it. As the pirates advanced, the quick eye of Starkey sighted Nibs disappearing through the wood, and once his pistol flashed out, but an iron claw gripped his shoulder. Um. Oh, okay, so the pirates saw the child disappearing through the wood, but an iron claw gripped his shoulder. Captain, let go! He cried, writhing. Now for the first time we hear the voice of Hook. It was a black voice. Oh, okay. Um. God, I don't know. How intimidating a voice can I make? Hmm, let's see. What constitutes intimidating? I mean, Peter's already got the, like, the Voldemort thing going on, that kind of silky smooth, like, you don't even know what you want, do you? But a black voice. A terrifying voice. I don't know. Could give him Snape's voice. That's always fun. Put that pistol. Put that pistol first. It's that threatening. Lee. It was one of the boys you hate. Could have shot him dead. Aye. And the sound would have brought Tiger Lily's indigenous people upon us. Do you want to lose your scalp? Shall I laugh to him, Captain? No, oh, that's me. Alright, let's see if I can do this. Mm -hmm. Shall I laugh to him, Captain? Asked Pathetic Smee. And tickle him by Johnny Corkscrew? Smee had pleasant names for anything, and his cutlass was Johnny Corkscrew, because it wriggled in the wound. One could mention many lovable traits in Smee. For instance, after killing... It was his spectacles he wiped instead of his weapon. Um. Johnny's a silent fellow, reminded Hook. Not now, Smee, Hook said darkly. He is only one, and I want to mischief all the seven. Scatter, look for them. The pirates disappeared among the trees. Gotta remember what Smee sounds like. And in a moment, their captain and Smee were alone. Hook heaved a heavy sigh. And I know not why it was. Perhaps it was difficult uh, because of the soft beauty of the evening. And be... And... Uh, nope. But. Not and. But. There came over him a desire to confide in his faithful boast in the story of his life. He spoke long and earnestly. But what it was all about Smee... But what it was all about Smee, who was rather stupid, did not know in the least. Anon, he caught the word Peter. Most of all, 
Hook was saying passionately. I want their captain, Peter Pan. "'Twas he who cut off my arm. He brandished the hook, threatening. I've waited long to shake his hand with this. Ooh, I'll tear him. And yet, said Smee, I've often heard you say the hook was worth a score of hands in combing the hair and other homely uses. Aye, Captain said. If I was a mother, I would pray to have my children born with this instead of that. And he cast a look of pride upon his iron hand and one of scorn upon the other. Then again, he frowned. Peter flung my arm, he said wincing, to a crocodile who happened to be passing by. I have often, said me, noticed of your strange dread with crocodiles. Not of crocodiles, who corrected him, but of that one crocodile. He lowered his voice, page 88. It liked my arm so much, me. It has been following me ever since, from sea to sea, from land to land, licking its lips for the rest of me. In a way, said Smee, it's a sort of compliment. I want no such compliments, Hook barked petulantly. I want Peter Pan, who first gave the brute its taste of me. He sat down on a large mushroom, and now there was a quiver in his voice. Smee, he said huskily, that crocodile would have had me before this. But by chance, by a lucky chance, it swallowed a clock, which goes tick, tick, inside. So before it can reach me, I hear the tick and bolt. He laughed, but in a hollow way. <laughs> Someday, said Smee, the clock will run down and he'll get you. Hook wetted his dry lips. Aye, he said, that's the fear that haunts me. Since setting down, he had felt curiously warm. Smee, he said, the seed is hot. He jumped up. Odds, bobs, hammer, and tongs are burning. They examined the mushroom, which was of a size and solitarily unknown to the mainland. Page 89. They tried to pull it up and it came away at once in their hands, for it had no root. Strange still, the smoke began to ascend at once. Pirates looked at each other. A chimney! They both exclaimed. A chimney! They, I'm adding Smee's voice. I'm not going to edit it in, but that's what Smee... A chimney! Oh, oh boy! Oh boy! I don't know. I love Smee. I love his voice. So, what I was trying to do... Because uh, Smee's voice is kind of bubbly, you know? And one thing you can do to kind of get a bubbly nature is you gotta kind of loosen your lips and get a jowl going. Blah, 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 blah. Kind of, kind of that action. So I was pulling my cheek, like, to the side in order to try to get that, but now my face hurts, so I'm gonna stop doing that to just try to give a Mickey Mouse's voice. I don't know. I'm just gonna play around with the space. I'm just gonna use the space and see what I can come up with. They had indeed discovered the chimney of a home underground. It was the custom of the boys to stop it with a mushroom when enemies were in the neighborhood. Not only smoke came out of it, there were also children's voices. So safe did the boys feel in their hiding place that they were ch uh, gaily chattering. The pirates listened grimly and they replaced the mushroom. They looked around them and noticed the holes in the seven trees. Did you hear them say Peter Pan's from home? Smee whispered, fidgeting uh, with Johnny Corkscrew. Mm. Hook nodded. He stood for a long time lost in thought and at last a curdling smile lit up his swarthy face. Smee had been waiting for it. Un uh, Unrip your plans, Captain, he cried eagerly, page 90. To return to the ship... Hook replied slowly through his teeth, and cook a large rice cake of the jolly thickness with green sugar on it. There can be but one room below, for there is but one chimney. The silly moles had not the sense to see that they did not need a door apiece. That shows they have no mother. We will leave the cake on the shore of the mermaid's lagoon. These boys are always swimming around them, playing with their mermaids. They will find the cake. And they would gobble it up. 
Because having no mother, they don't know dangers tis to eat rich damp cake. You burst into laughter, not hollow laughter now, but honest laughter. Ha 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 ha! They will die! Smead listened to, with growing admiration. It is the wickedest, prettiest policy I have ever heard of, he cried. In their exultions, they danced and sang. Avast, belay, when I appear, by fear they overtook. Knots left upon your bones when you have shaking claws with cook. So, they know this is their house. Smee and Hook have discovered the house of the boys. And instead of attacking them in the house, or putting fire in the house, or smoking them out of the house, or doing anything with the house, they've decided to go back to the ship, bake a cake, presumably with poison, put it on the shore where they know the boys tend to like to hang out, hope the boys come across the cake and eat the cake. So not only have they found the house, but they also know the boys' patterns in terms of like what they like to do in the day. So much so that they're gonna lay a trap for the boys knowing the boys are gonna be there. Basically what I'm trying to get at is, how are these kids still alive if Hook knows so much about them? Especially now that he's found their hiding place. So he knows their patterns and he knows where they live and sleep. These boys are dead. These boys are dead and gone. Like, unless Hook goes like, no, it's a children's book. I shan't kill them in a bed. So that's dishonorable. I guess we'll find out. Oh, well. They began the verse, but they never finished it. Page 91 for another sound broken and still then. It was the first. It was at first such a tiny sound that a leaf might have fallen on it and smothered it. But as it came nearer, it was more distinct. Hook stood shuddering, one foot in the air. The crocodile! He gasped and bounded away, followed by his bosun. It was indeed the crocodile. It passed the indigenous people who were now on the trail of the other pirates. It oozed on after Hook. Fucking love that song. Once more, the boys emerged into the open, but the dangers of the nights were not yet over, for presently Nibs rushed breathlessly into their midst, pursued by a pack of wolves. The tongues of the pursuers were hanging out. The baying of them was horrible. Save, save me, save me, cried Nibs, falling on the ground. What can we do, what can we do? It was a high compliment to Peter that at that dire moment their thoughts turned to him. What would Peter do? They cried simultaneously. Page 92. Almost in the same breath they added, Peter would look at them through his legs. And then, let us do what Peter would do. It was quite the most successful way of defying wolves. And as one, the boys bent and looked through their legs. The next moment is a long one, but victory came quickly. For as the boys advanced upon them in this terrible attitude, the wolves dropped their tails and fled. Now Nibs rose from the ground, and the others uh, thought that his staring eyes still saw the wolves. But it was not wolves he saw. I have seen a wonderfuller thing, he cried, and they gathered around him eagerly. A great white bird is flying this way. What kind of bird do you think? I don't know, said Nibs, awestruck. It looks so wary. And as it flies, it moans, Poor Wendy! Poor Wendy! Yeah, you remember, said Slightly instantly. There are birds called Wendy's. See, it comes, cried Carol, pointing to Wendy in the heavens. Page 93. Wendy was almost overheard, and they could hear her plaintive cry. But more distinct came the shrill voice of Tinkerbell. The jealous fairy had now cast off all disguise of friendship and was darting at her victory from every direction, pinching savagely each time she touched. Yellow, Tink, cried the wandering boys. Tink's reply rang out. Um, Peter wants you to shoot the Wendy! It was not in their nature to question Peter's order. Let us do what Peter wishes, cried the simple boys. Quick, bows and arrows. All but Tootles plopped down their trees. He had a bow and arrow with him, and Tink noted and rubbed it at his little hands. Quick, Tootles, quick, she screamed. Peter will be so pleased. Tootles excitedly fitted the arrow to his bow. Out of the way, Tink, he shouted, and he fired. Wendy fluttered to the ground with an arrow in her breast. Holy shit! Oh, man. Well, 
Looks like Wendy's dead. I told you, I told you this book was gonna start killing the kids and wouldn't you know it, Wendy's dead. I mean, we don't know that for certain because that's the end of the chapter, but I'm gonna, I'm just gonna call it right here. Wendy Darling has been killed by Toodles the Lost Boy. That's um, that's a rough way to go. A rough way to go. And I think that'll do it for this week's episode of the Going Upcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to more Peter Pad, my little diatribe of video games, and of course our adventure to Key Chalice Lake in the Cascade Mountain Range. I hope you're all staying safe, stay inside. Days are getting toasty over here. It got to like 80 degrees this past week. I started wearing shorts. Oh boy, it's it's getting it's getting warm and toasty. So stay inside, stay cool. It's only gonna get hotter. So you know, take all the precautions, bat down the hatches, and all that fun stuff. Wash your dang hands. I know things are kind of slowly eking back up, but until we get a vaccine, this thing is still very much a problem. So stay safe, stay smart. Maintain social distancing, wear masks and gloves, and I will see you all next week. And of course, all throughout this week for um, episodes of Elvis. So, oh, or chapters of Elvis. And have a good one, everyone.